Welcome to the Westside Investors Network. Win your community of investing knowledge for growth. This is the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast for real estate professionals by real estate professionals. This show is focused on the next step in your career, investing. Thank you for listening. And please, if you like our content, rate us on your podcast provider. Just a quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are for educational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any shares or securities, make or consider any investments or take any other action. And now, AJ and Chris Shepard. We've got Emily McAllister on the show with us. Emily is an up-and-coming realtor and investor in North Carolina. She has developed a personal brand through social media on TikTok. Today, she shares with us some tips and strategies that she's used to gain exposure and gain a huge number of followers. She will also talk about how to find inspiration for her social media posts. We dive into her process that she goes through of setting her goals and publicizing them for her target audience, who ultimately holds her accountable for those goals. So let's welcome Emily McAllister. All right. Well, today we've got Emily McAllister with us. She's a realtor at Keller Williams Point East out of North Carolina. Emily, welcome to the show. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved in real estate? So I am out of, like you said, Greenville, North Carolina. I'm 25 years old and I really just kind of fell into this. The story about how I got started is not as sexy as everybody wants it to be. I just kind of, I was in enrolled in college. I went away for a semester and ended up back in my hometown and was in the community college and wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. And my dad and both my grandfathers had both been in development and construction in years past. And so it kind of was just a natural thing, my introduction into this industry. Then I got hooked up with agent that was local that allowed me to be an agent assistant for her. And I ended up with my license and it ended up on a team and just got really good at it. And so I figured, well, I reckon, I reckon this is what we're doing. (laughs) So your family kind of pushed, not pushed, but they helped you or it made the decision a little easier to get into real estate. Yeah. I mean, I definitely showed the interest first in going into this career path, but the conversation was so insignificant that I don't even remember what it was. It just was, Hey, I think I may have some interest in this. Who do you know? And I ended up, like I said, I had a family friend that worked for a local local brokerage here in town that was pretty well established. And I was an assistant for her for about 10 months while I got my license. And I kind of thought that when I got my license, I was going to, she would take me under her wing and show me the ropes and teach me and mentor me. And then that's not what happened. And after about six weeks, they gave me a phone and a desk and said, have at it. And I was not even 21 years old. And so I was very overwhelmed. And I really did just genuinely believe that because I had grown up in this town and and knew a lot of people that my phone would just ring. And then (laughs) that didn't happen. I wasn't really sure what to do next. And after, you know, six or eight weeks of just getting the crap beat out of me emotionally over this job, my broker in charge at the time called me into his office and said, I think you need to find a different career. I don't think this is for you. And I was so close to just packing it up and going home and saying, okay, that's it. I've had enough. And I got in front of my mom pushed for me to reach out to another contact that she had who had a team set up here in town. And I 
I really didn't want to talk to him initially. She wanted me to go to work for him in the very beginning. And I, I wasn't mm-hmm. about because I just heard some horror stories about how structured his business was and how people would joke that he was such a Nazi. He made you wear a uniform and he had to actually show up and you had to do this and you had to do that. And there was quotas that had to be met. And I did not want to go over there, but I met with him. It was a really good fit. He was a really great mentor for me. And I started there the week after my 21st birthday. And in my first 12 months, I sold 25 houses. Wow. And it all came from the structure that... That I thought so. (laughs) (laughs) Well, why don't we dive into that a little bit? Like what, so how was it different, you know, at your first job where you were kind of just like free to do whatever you wanted? And then what did you learn and what did that structure do for you? And how do you feel about like that experience now that looking back at it? So the very first brokerage I went to work for was, it's a boutique brokerage here in town. It's not a corporate entity and they are very old school. We're, I mean, we're a relatively rural area. Greenville by itself has about a hundred thousand people and the county is more along the lines of like 150 to 175. And so we still, I joke that it's kind of the twilight zone. We (laughs) operate very much on the good old boy system and that particular firm was a bunch of older agents that had really, you know, big last names, if you can have a big last name in a town of 100,000 people. And I just was not a very good fit there. And Homer's office, who that's the guy I went to work for, he also had an independent brokerage that was more of a boutique style, but it was set up as a team. And so it wasn't up to me to generate my own leads. They were feeding me, they brought me in, they taught me how to do the job. They taught me how to talk to people. They taught me how to make cold calls. They taught me, you know, they gave me all of the tools and resources that I needed to be able to be successful as much as you can without just flat out doing it for somebody. And that was really beneficial because it gave me the opportunity to focus on actually learning how to do the job without having to learn how to run my own business at the same time. And I think that's what people don't understand a lot about real estate is, this is a business. You are running a business. Even if you are employed under Keller Williams or employed under Berkshire Hathaway or Caldwell Banker, whatever entity you may hang your license under, you are your own business by yourself. And if you go to work for a team, it puts some of that pressure off. It allows you to be able to learn individual aspects of the job in bite-sized pieces without having to start full on from scratch in the beginning. So, you mentioned the structure, like, and like, how scared were you, you know, on that first day when you showed up and like, when it was your expectations, like every single second of the day is now planned out. And <laughs> well, it wasn't as structured as what I thought it was going to be. You know, there are a lot of people around town and, and I don't work for Homer anymore. I outgrew that position once I got on my feet, but a lot of people don't understand the way he has his stuff set up. Yes, there is structure as far as like daily quotas and you are expected to sell a certain amount. He does not allow you to go work to work for him as a part-time agent. You have to be full-time. You have to be present for certain meetings. You do have to wear a uniform, all that kind of good stuff, but it wasn't as regimented as what I thought it was going to be. It wasn't a situation where every single second of every day was planned out. It became that because in order to be successful, especially in the beginning, you've got to to focus on time blocking and getting certain tasks done over the course of the day. But it was more so him giving you the tools 
or that system and structure giving you the tools to be able to do that for yourself versus there just being one kind of catch all rule system in place for everybody. And so you've, you've outgrown that structure now as well too, right? Yes, that's correct. So what are you on to now? So I get bored really quickly when I get get something. And so I worked for Hummer for right at two years. Then I went to work for another brokerage, another boutique brokerage here in town when I decided I wanted to start listing property. Because in the beginning, I was only helping people buy because that first company you had to pick. You either help people buy or help people list. And I did approach them and ask if there was an opportunity for me to be on the listing side. And they didn't, they didn't have that for me at the time. And so I went to another brokerage where I did have the opportunity to list. And I focused on that for a little while and quickly outgrew that position as well. I was there for a little over a year, but I was very, very small firm. I was the top producing agent there other than the broker in charge herself. And I felt like in order for me to be able to grow, I, I had to get in front of people that knew more and did more. And so that's ultimately how I ended up at Keller Williams because Keller Williams is one of the biggest market centers in my area as far as the number of agents enrolled. Nice. And if I did my research correctly, have you gotten into investment real estate too? Yes, that's correct. I do have a couple of investment properties. And funny enough, over the past probably six to eight weeks, that very first boss of mine, Homer, he will call me to, you know, just talk about what I'm doing and what properties I'm buying and who I'm using for subcontracting and where I'm getting my stuff. And it's a little odd how the tables have turned as far as the, that mentorship role goes. Not that he looks at me in an, as a mentor in any way, but just that we can assist each other. We've, we've got some information that each of the other one wants. Yeah. So let's talk about that. how did you get into or what made you decide to get into investments and rentals? Again, not really like some just click moment that was like, oh, this is what I want to do. To be completely honest, I ended up with my first property completely by accident. I lived in a duplex that a family member of mine owned and I lived in one side and my sister lived in the other. And there was another duplex on that same street that had an older couple that lived there. And they were really like rowdy and loud. To be completely honest, they beat the crap out of each other. And Mm -hmm. it was very disrupted disruptive to the street. And I reached out to the property owner directly and said, can I buy this unit from you? Cause they were tenants. And he was like, sure, give me whatever the tax value is, which at the time was even in 2019, when prices weren't as steep as what they are right now, it was still a really good deal. And so I bought that property, I was living next door. And so I renovated it. I spent I don't know, two, three weeks doing paint and floor and all that kind of stuff, paint and cabinets, putting in new appliances, replacing light fixtures. And then I moved into it and I lived there for a year. And then I eventually bought what I'm living in right now. Again, wasn't really looking, just kind of right place, right time. And I signed the paperwork for that in the third week of March in 2020. And they issued the mask mandate for coronavirus in my town, on St. Patrick's Day, and I signed the paperwork mm. for that, that following the week. day after. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and all of my family was like, "Oh my God, what are you doing? Like, you don't have any idea what is coming next. Like, you need to just chill out." And I was like, mm, "I don't know. I don't know, y'all. I think I think <laughs> what I'm 
fun. And sure enough, I got a really, really good deal on that house too. And I ended up putting a tenant in the first duplex and now I have a second one. And that just kind of has grown organically, not with any real master plan. It just kind of happened that way. Well, that's awesome. And you started because there were some really rowdy neighbors and you wanted to get them off the street. Yeah, really rowdy. (laughs) Not that this really has any bearing on the story, but it's just kind of crazy. She showed up from back at the duplex one day and she did not have an arm part. Her arm had been amputated from like below her elbow down because he bit her like near her wrist and gave her some kind of blood infection. And she had to have her arm amputated. It was a big ordeal. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that is, that's terrible. Wow. Yeah. But now you own what, four units, five units? I just have three. I have one in. When I say the duplex, I just own one side of that duplex. So I have have my primary residence, I have a single family home, and then I have the B side of the duplex that I own. So what is it like? I mean, is that in an HOA community or is that it's just a shared ownership of the same building? How does, I guess I'm not that familiar with that. How does that work? Um, So it's two separate parcels. It's one building. It has a connecting wall door is on its own. It has its own identity with the tax office. It is its own property on its own deed. And even the root, like in the duplex I own, the roof line is broken. Like there's a step between my roof and the neighbor's roof. There's a stem wall or something. Yes. So that like I replace my roof at a separate time than my neighbor. And it doesn't look funky because there's a break. Interesting. So it sounds like it's almost condoized or it sounds like a townhome. It's just a a connecting wall. It is more of a townhouse setup, yeah. Cool. But it's just two inside one building. Well, fun. Well, so what we brought you on the show today to talk about, though, is you have an incredible online presence. So, like, tell us, like, how you have gone about developing that and how it's benefited you and just kind of give us a rundown. So, I, you know, obviously, and this is in reference to TikTok, but I started that account in January, right after I set my goal for the year. And I started it because I kind of viewed it as a way for me to hold myself accountable and for other people to hold me accountable for that goal. I had just had a conversation with another Keller Williams agent out of Raleigh who had essentially told me the best thing you can do for yourself is share your goal with anybody that will listen and give people a very specific here's what you can do to help me. And that's really like kind of how the idea to start that account originated. And then it just got, I don't want to say out of hand, it just grew and got a lot of attention really quickly. And I mean, it's not something that I I set out to do. It is very beneficial for me in my business just because it's brand recognition. I don't really only in the past, probably three to four weeks have I really sat down and made an effort to, review that aspect of my business and say, okay, we're going to add this to my goal chart for the next year. Like we're going to make this a focus and a faction of the entity that is my brand because it, it has helped, like I said, just get my name out there and brand exposure. I've had several people call off of a sign and not realize that it's me. And then when I pick up the phone or when we meet, they go, oh my gosh, I knew I knew you from somewhere. You look so familiar and this is what 
I've had, I've been out of town and had people stop me like in a bar and say, are you, are you that girl from TikTok? Are you that realtor from TikTok? So it's been kind of a wild ride. So you've started this account on TikTok and it, it blew up. What, like, I know that people are recognizing you and that you've got brand recognition, but what made you kind of like start the goal? And then like, what were you expecting to achieve when you did it? And then looking back, what do you think like were the results and how has that helped you? Well, I mean, I set a goal for myself every year and this was just the first year. Like I said, I had that conversation with the Raleigh agent who gave me the advice of, you know, share the goal, get the goal out there. Just let anybody and everybody know that may ever want to know that you have this goal, even those people that don't want to know and they don't care that you have this goal. And so in starting it, there wasn't really, I mean, I wasn't really looking to accomplish anything specific other than being held accountable for that goal. There are days where I wake up and go, I really do not want to go to work today. I really, I'm okay. Like I do not want to be doing this right now. And then I think to myself, I do not want to embarrass myself in front of 80,000 people who have been following this journey of me hitting this very specific number. I do not want to have to get up here at the end of the year and say, sorry, it didn't happen. So do you want to share your goal? Yeah. So the goal for this year was 67 houses or 67 transactions and 11.15, in volume. Now I understand you guys are in the Pacific Northwest and that may not sound like a lot. <laughs> that kind of sounds like chump change, but for where I am, our average sale price is about 175, $180,000. And Based off of my numbers last year, my average sales price was like 140 for the year. And so I have done my average price this year, year to date is like 195, 197. So I've increased my average price point by a lot, meaning that I will, it is possible. It's looking slimmer and slimmer every day that I hit that $11.1 million number. I'll come close, but I don't think I'll hit it. But I, I certainly will not hit the 67 unit mark because I've done, I've just increased how expensive the houses are that I'm selling this year. Yeah. Average sales price has gone up. So it allows you to have yeah. less, less number of units and the same amount of yeah. revenue. Yeah. That's a very specific goal, <laughs> which is awesome too. Where did you come up with the 11.15 number? It literally is just, to be completely honest, I really wanted to sell. I really want to cross the threshold of 10 million. That's really what I wanted to do, which I will do before the, the year is out. So I'm very happy and satisfied with myself. But I'm one of the people that will give myself a little buffer in my goal. Like I knew if I hit, if, if I set the goal at 11 and some change, then I was bound to cross the $10 million threshold. Like it wasn't an option for me to not. And so I will be doing a TikTok over the next couple of weeks here, releasing the 2022 goal and my new, I've got a new goal chart. I know people go nuts for that over that platform, but the 2022 goal does not have that buffer (laughs) (laughs) with that buffer. So that is very much hard line. If I don't hit this, I'm going to be pissed. What's the process that you do to set your goals? Essentially what I do is I look at my numbers from last year. My average sale price is really important because obviously if I have a specific volume number dollar amount in mind, I can't calculate how many houses I need to sell without knowing 
what my average sale price is, but it's more of like percentage based. So last year I closed, I think 7 million and some change. And so it's a 30% increase somewhere between that 25 to 30% increase that I focus on. Now, obviously the jump from last year to this year, is a little bit more than 25 to 30%, but that's kind of the general range is of the, the growth spectrum that I look at year over year. And yeah. as eventually, and, and I am starting to get to that point, eventually I'll hit a ceiling where you can't, not without bringing on more people, you can't grow at, at that rate every 12 months as one person. I mean, you, there's only but so much bandwidth that I have. Yeah. When's that going to be your goal? <laughs> <laughs> So I actually did just hire someone, but Ooh. I cheated a little bit because she's my sister. <laughs> <laughs> I um, I brought her on. She works 830 to 330 Monday through Friday. We are still trying to kind of get in a good rhythm. It's hard bringing on extra people because I need her to just get to the point where she can as, I mean, essentially what I want her to be, be able to do is just read my mind. Like I don't, but she obviously can't do that. So we've got to get systems in place to the point where she doesn't have to come in and have me tell her what to do. And that's kind of, we're still in that beginning stage of training where I'm having to take on twice the amount of work by thinking about what needs to get done that day and then giving her a list and then reverting back to what I need to do. And I'm a little bit of a control freak. So the delegation is not my strongest suit. It's that growth, like something AJ and I both went through. I mean, I remember when it, we were running our property management company and it was, it was just me and AJ and he was in charge of construction and I was in charge of property management. And it took a while. Like it took, you know, a lot of transformation in 2014, we joined EO and that was extremely helpful in, you know, kind of changing the mindset from being a sole proprietor to running a business. Mm-hmm. And it made a big difference because EO is a group of entrepreneurs and there are companies, you know, with the business owner who's, who are in EO who have like $100 million, $200 million companies and like thousands of employees. And then there's, you know, I joined in 2014 being a, oh, I don't have any employees. Yeah. <laughs> and you just get connected with tons of great people. And AJ just joined. He got in last week and he just did his form training yesterday. So pretty exciting. Yeah. Should be a fun experience. Yeah. And one of the other things that we did in 2016, we hired virtual assistants from the Philippines and we have a solid team. Nez is actually, she's in Cebu City, right? Yeah. So we've had a goal to get out to the Philippines and we we hit the goal like in April of 2020 and it just hasn't like we were going to send our all of our portland team to go visit and it just hasn't happened yet it's it's pretty disappointing we've got got a budget and we want to go it's tough though so emily before we get on to the last four questions is there anything you want to tell our audience about 
kind of like in creating that social media marketing kind of giant that you have, like any, any advice that you could give them on what they could do to kind of do the same thing? I get this question a lot. I still don't know if I've found exactly the right words to answer it the best way I know how, but I think just as a general consensus, society as a whole becomes less and less formal and our interactions with each other become less and less formal where we are able to relate to people on a much more casual level. And I think a lot of the reason I've had such a good run at the social media platform thing thus far is because, I mean, yes, the platform is related around my job and career and real estate in general, but it's not like some of the tacky, like corporate stuff that you see on Instagram. Like, so every now and again, I'll be, I'll be scrolling and I'll screenshot something as like a perfect example of what not to do. Please do not post like, I hate, like we just had Halloween and somebody was doing, giving an example of a pot buy that they had brought to a client. Like the market can be scary. Let us help you through it. Like I just, that's that kind of thing. Like, Cringe. Yeah. Like that just does not speak to me and look, it works for a certain demographic in a certain market, but that is just, that is not me. I'm very like straightforward. I will tell you exactly like it is, how it is, how I think. There's a lot of of things that are up for question in this world. And fortunately or unfortunately for some people, where I stand is not one of them. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so I think that just me being very casual, like conversating with people instead of being corporate business all the time makes it easier for people to relate to me and and my platform. Here's a question. So (laughs) How much of your day or like what part of your day are you like spending, you know, trying to think consciously about, all right, here is something that I'm going to do to achieve my social media strategy, or I'm looking at the competition's social media strategy, or just spending time on social media. I definitely spend probably more time on it than I realize or am willing to admit. Um, (laughs) And a lot of like what I'm doing in scrolling those platforms is, you know, just looking for inspiration, but I don't think that platform takes up too much of my time. I mean, obviously I I have to make time for my day job that pays my bills, but a lot of like, and even if you scroll through my feed, the vast majority of those posts, I'm in my car because I spend a lot of time in my car in between appointments, going through drive-thrus, driving to this place, driving to that place. And so that's where I do the majority. I have like a little mount. And so I can, if I'm at a stoplight, record a quick 30 or 45 seconds and I'll just kind of get hit with inspiration throughout the day and go into my office and go, Hey, I need to make five minutes for this. And then I'll just save it in my drafts and post it later on later in the evening because they tend to do better later in the day. I post them, but I mean, that's kind of what I mean by what has happened thus far has really happened organically. And I haven't really like set aside a specific portion of my day to strategize and to make that a priority. But that is something that I want to do moving forward as far as 2022 is concerned. Do you feel like most of your creative energy goes into social media strategy? I mean, I'd say it probably takes up 65 to 70% of my creative bandwidth. I mean, I do reserve some stuff for, Obviously, my marketing, my, my day job, 
but there's not as much opportunity really for me to be that free with it in real estate. And so uh, that's more of an outlet. The social media is more of an outlet for me as far as that's concerned. Cool. Well, I think we're probably getting on to the last four questions here. And this first one is, we're probably gonna have to modify it because I think you are, I think you are are 25. So like, what's one piece of advice you would give your 25 year old self? So maybe going into 2022, if you were looking back on yourself last year, like what's one piece of advice you would give yourself one year ago? I think one year ago, and in reference to social media specifically, I spent a lot of time being really concerned that about what people would think if I just like took off and, and started behaving like I was some big online media presence. And, and I don't like the term influencer, but I guess, I mean, that's really the only thing that is applicable here. But it's all fun and games until it actually goes that way. I mean, people get to talk crap about it until that actually happens. And then they're like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. And so I think Mm -hmm. that would be my biggest thing to myself is, I mean, even now, like with the platform that I have, I don't wake up and look at myself in the mirror and think, holy cow, I have 80,000 followers on TikTok. Like that's such a massive accomplishment. (laughs) Like I still have some of those limiting beliefs as far as do people look at me and say, who do you think you are? And I don't, well, I'm Emily McAllister and I'm just going to do my own thing and move along without regard for what anybody else may have to say about it. Cool. I like that. Like you're just like forging or forging through, like no matter what anyone else really has to say about it. And like mm-hmm. when you were buying that house in the, in the pandemic, <laughs> your family was really worried. Yeah. But ultimately like you knew it was going to be a good deal and it is a good deal. So, mm-hmm. awesome. you know, the, the haters can think whatever they want. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. What, was your first entrepreneurial endeavor? This business is one massive entrepreneurial endeavor. <laughs> really going out on, I would say, purchasing that first investment property. And actually, no, I have a much better answer for this. I don't know why I didn't <laughs> think of When I was in this, you guys will get to hear the first version of the story ever told because I hate talking about it, but it's such a great example. When I was 17, I started my own business making cheerleading bows. I was a cheerleader all throughout high school. And I was making bows for teens for other public high schools and middle schools. And I literally had a list between my junior and and senior year of high school, made a list of all of the schools in Eastern North Carolina and all of their coaches and all of their phone numbers. And the summer I was 17, I spent a couple of hours a week making cold calls to these people trying to sell cheerleading bows. And I looked at the time, like my mom would (laughs) rag on me all the time and and brag about how great I was. And I'm like, please, can you stop doing that? That's so embarrassing. Like, this is not really a business. Like this is a side hustle. Like I I freaking make, I have three inch ribbon and some fishing line in the house. Like this is not what you keep making it out to be. And now I look back on that and think about a 17 year old kid making cold calls. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that was a little bit impressive. Like (laughs) I didn't realize at the time, like how out of the ordinary or out of character that was for a 17 year old to do. But that's really like probably my first, my very first good example of like the entrepreneurial spirit. That is awesome. And like what self-motivation too. Like, I think that's the, I mean, from my perspective, that's what's 
very impressive as, you know, the ability to be self-motivated to get out there and, and do that as a, a side hustle. Yeah. Yeah. Cool story. Yeah. That's the story we're looking for. Not, not <laughs> the first house. <laughs> All right, Emily, the next question is how has your formal and informal training shaped your journey? I don't know if I'll be able to come up with an answer that's as good as the one I just gave, but <laughs> I mean, working for Homer's office in that structure, that, that formal training, I mean, that was paramount. I feel like to how successful I've been able to be in a relatively short amount of time. I mean, obviously there are leaps and bounds more better and higher places that I can go with this business, but I think that really gave me a, a really solid foundation for how to scale. And I, as far as informal training, I was very, very, very blessed to grow up in a household with parents and other family members who are entrepreneurs by nature and had the ability to answer questions for me. Just business in general has been a a dinner table conversation for as long as I can remember. My mom baked cakes out of our house and ran her own business when I was a kid. My papa developed an engine and has been looking for the capital to produce that on a mass scale, that just all of that, just general conversation and you you pick up and kind of absorb pieces as people talk about it. All of those things have definitely played a role in where I'm at. Yeah, that's great. Our dad was in the real estate industry as well and has, you know, growing up, it was always talking about how you need to make money in your sleep Mm -hmm. and that entrepreneurial spirit. So that is great. Yeah, definitely. Okay. And our final question, what was your biggest mistake and what did you learn? My biggest mistake and probably one that I continue to make is that people do not spend even one thousandth of the percent of time thinking about me as I think that they do. Mm-hmm. I am very, very concerned. And I think a lot of salespeople are with how are, how are you going to be perceived? How are people going to look at you? What are people going to think? And a lot of what drives me not only away from bad behavior, but towards good behavior is I don't want to be embarrassed. And so that's something that's like really high on my list of motivators is just avoiding embarrassment at all costs, which is can sometimes be detrimental in my desire to do more and be more. But my mom used to tell me all the time as a kid, people do not spend nearly as much time thinking about you as you think that they do, or as you spend thinking about whether or not they're thinking about you. They just don't care. Just the general public just does not care as much as you're tricking yourself into believing. That, I mean, I think everybody has that fear and it's, yeah, it's really tough to overcome. And it's such a self limiter and to be able to tackle that head on, you know, is, it's very impressive. So yeah. Thank you, Emily. This has been super fun. Yeah. I really appreciate you coming on. So Emily, if there's our audience wants to get a hold of you, do you have any place that they should search for you or find you? Well, you should definitely follow me on TikTok. If you haven't gotten that out of the past 45 minutes, you should (laughs) do that. And my handle is is at realtor Emily McAllister.com or not.com at realtor at realtor Emily McAllister. <laughs> my website is Emily McAllister.com, but you there's contact information in the bio of my TikTok and Instagram and all that kind of thing for you to get in touch with me via email if you have any interest or business ventures for me. 
Awesome. Well, thank you again. Thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Yeah, I really appreciate you guys reaching out to me. Cheers. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast on WIN, your community of investing knowledge for growth. We hope that this episode has increased your knowledge and added value to your path to freedom. If you would, please take a second to rate us so that we can get more great investors to interview. If you or someone that you know wants to be on, please visit westsideinvestors.com and fill out our form to be on the show. Thank you again and enjoy your day.